This is episode number 48 of the Unfolding Words podcast, how Jesus transformed the empty tomb into the most holy place and how he does the same for you. My name is Antracia Moorings, and this is the weekly podcast aimed at sharing biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you so much for joining me this week. As this podcast drops, it is the Monday after the day that we commemorate Resurrection Sunday. I think about the wonder that many of Jesus's followers felt on the Monday and the weeks following his resurrection. And sometimes I feel like the wonder of that is lost on us because those of us who have come to Christ have always known the resurrection. There has never really been life before the physical resurrection. There has been for our lives, there has been a resurrection But as far as Jesus being resurrected, that's always been a reality for us. So I sometimes think that the wonder of that can be lost on us. And so I'm hoping that we can recapture a little of that today as we walk through the scriptures. One of the things that I love about scripture is how seemingly insignificant facts can lead to bigger truth. It's like when you tug on one thread, it unravels something bigger and more beautiful. And such is the case with John chapter 20. This is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read verses one through seven out of the ESV. And it says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was doing more than just flexing his muscle or showing off his power. He was bringing the Old Testament to life. When we read this scripture about the linen cloths being left behind, we, the readers, should immediately think of the priest's garments on the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus. This is why I'm such a proponent for reading all of scripture in its entirety, because once you do, little facts can tip you off to something that you've already read. It gives us the opportunity to see the beauty of what Christ has done. So when we read about these linen cloths and think about the Old Testament and the Day of Atonement, we understand or we should understand that the sins of the Israelites defiled them as well as the tabernacle. And there's lots of talk about how they had to be cleansed continually because of their sin, how they had to do certain rituals before they entered the tabernacle or brought an offering to the to the priest. So the Day of Atonement was designed to make a full atonement for the people's sins and their impurity, even those sins that they may not have been aware of. The Day of Atonement covered everything, sins known and unknown, intentional and unintentional. And this alone was a grace of God for him to be so gracious to give complete atonement to his people. So let me give a little bit of historical context of the Day of Atonement so we can better understand where we're coming from and where we're going. The Day of Atonement 
is also known as Yom Kippur, and it's a high holy day. So if you know anyone who's of Jewish descent today, Yom Kippur is a very important day for them. This was the only time during the year when the high priest would enter the holies of holies in that innermost chamber of the temple or the tabernacle to make atonements for all the sins of Israel. An atonement means a covering. So what God was allowing was a covering of the sins of the people. And the purpose of the sacrifice was to bring a reconciliation between man and God by covering the sins of his people. So on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would remove his official priestly garments, which were very ornate. And he would bathe and put on a pure white linen robe to symbolize his humility. And he would do this outside of the most holy place, the curtain right before that. So he wasn't doing this out in the public. And then next he would make a sin offering for himself and the other priests by sacrificing a young bull and a ram for a burnt offering. Then he would enter the Holy of Holies or the most holy place with a pan of hot coals from the altar of incense, causing the air to be filled with a smoky cloud and an aroma of incense. And then using his fingers, he would sprinkle the blood of the bull on the mercy seat and on the floor before the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. The high priest would then cast lots between two live goats that had been brought by the people. One of the goats was killed as a sin offering for the nation. Its blood was added by the high priest to the blood that had already been sprinkled inside of the Holy of Holies. And the grand finale of this ceremony is when the high priest would then place his hands on the head of the live goat and confess the sins of the whole nation before the altar of burnt offering. Finally, he would appoint a person to take the live goat outside of the camp and set it free into the wilderness. Symbolically, this scapegoat would carry away the sins of the people. Then after all this was done, the high priest would enter the tent of meeting, bathe again, put his priestly garments back on, taking the fat of the sin offering, he would present a burnt offering for himself, one for the people, and the remaining flesh of the young bull would be burned outside the camp. Take in mind that the linen cloth that he took off would be left in the most holy place. And the high priest was in charge of all of these rituals so that the people would be able to continue in covenant fellowship with God. No one was allowed into the tent of meeting on that day except the high priest. And the fact that the high priest alone performed this work of atonement gives a picture as Jesus as the one who alone did the work of atonement for all of mankind on the cross. And the fact that these linen cloths are mentioned three times in the span of seven verses in the book of John should tip us readers off to the fact that the author is trying to highlight something. Repetition is a tool used by authors to let readers know, pay attention to this. So we should immediately be thinking of the priestly garments of the Day of Atonement, which is outlined in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, the original audience would have gotten this. They would have been steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, and they would have noticed this right away. But for those of us who are far removed from this culture, we have to dig a little further to get these truths and to understand why this is highlighted. So in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 33, when the priest is in the most holy place, we see that the tomb of the New Testament where Jesus was becomes that most holy place. So we have to look at the imagery that's painted, the picture that's painted for us in the Old Testament to see the correlation that's made to understand why the tomb becomes the most holy place. When John describes this scene, two angels are at the tomb. 
and they were pictures of the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord's throne room was symbolically guarded by angels, which were sewn into the curtains in front of it. So if you go back and you look at the tabernacle and how it was constructed, lots of small, tiny details, and each detail actually means something. So the fact that these angels were sewn into the curtains is very significant. Every one of the gospel accounts has some angelic presence written into the account of the story. So at the tomb, each one of the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gives an account of an angel being at the tomb. But it's only in the book of John that we see two angels sitting where Jesus's head and feet had lain. John wants us to understand that this is a very important point, that these angels were there and that they sat as they did. And it's outlined in Exodus 25 verses 18 through 22. And it says, And thou shalt make two cherubim of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them at the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub at the one end, and one cherub at the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim of the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall spread out their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, And in the ark, thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So any good Israelite knew that God commanded Moses and Israel to build him first a tabernacle And in the most holy place of that tabernacle would be the Ark of the Covenant containing the two tablets with the Ten Commandments, which was a powerful sign of the covenant between God and Israel. And on top of that Ark was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat had cherubim or angels on either side. Now, the mercy seat is where God placed his presence and spoke to Moses. The mercy seat is also where Aaron would bring the blood of the sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of himself and for Israel. And you can read this in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 11 through 16. And when Solomon built the temple, he built cherubim on both sides of the most holy place with the same purpose in mind. And this is in 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 and 28. Now, in the book of John, Jesus notes that his body is the temple. And just like the cherubim were placed at the two ends of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, so we see the two angels sit on the slab where the body of Jesus was laid in the tomb. The empty tomb is now the most holy place. Something about that fact just gets me that this place of death is now the most holy place. Where his body had lain represented a new mercy seat, the place where God in flesh would soon speak again with Mary. So Mary sat there and wondered where Jesus was. And Jesus came down and spoke to her. We see this in John chapter 20, verses 12 through 16. The angels declare that the rock slab where the body of Jesus was placed is the new place of atonement where the holy sacrifice of God had rested. The spiritual significance of this is outstanding. We cannot miss these facts. If the tomb is like the most holy place and the slab where Jesus laid was the mercy seat, we can then see that Jesus was the most holy sin offering described in Leviticus chapter 6 verses 26 through 29. Now, if we rewind back to the book of Leviticus 
Aaron was to change out of his very ornate priestly outfit into a plain linen outfit. Even as the Jewish high priest changed his garments, so did Jesus. Jesus, who existed in the form of God, laid aside his glory and his majesty before he clothed himself with flesh and blood. Then Aaron, the high priest, would perform the rites, the cleansing from the holy place outward and all the rituals. And after he completed this, he would leave his linen garments in the holy place, the most holy place, as I mentioned earlier. Jesus did this exact same thing. He left it behind as a testimony that, look, just as Aaron, the high priest, cleansed everyone of their sins, I just did the same thing through my death. God's presence was in an unclean place, a place of death. And if you look back in the Old Testament, if you had anything to do with death or you were around dead people, you had to go through a ritual cleansing. But now the tomb was a place of purity and renewal and new life. It's just another example of God's upside down kingdom. And now we who were once unclean and not fit for God's presence have his sweet Holy Spirit residing inside of us. And it's his spirit and his presence that makes us holy, transforming us from empty dead tombs into places of renewal and new life. So the Day of Atonement was a day for the full atonement of all sins, all transgressions, and all failures for all of Israel, so that God in his holiness would be able to tabernacle amongst his people. And on that day, the holiest of holiest was opened for the high priest to enter in. This was just a shadow of the things to come. But now these things are reality for us who are New Testament believers. We have the holy blessed substance of that which was only a shadow in the New Test in the Old Testament. So when the tabernacle was set up amongst Israel, it gave us a clear picture of how sin separates us from the holiness of God. There was so much separation. There was the veil, there was the outer court, the inner court, and this whole gate around the tabernacle that kept the people from entering into God's presence. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter into the holies of holies, and he had to pass through the heavy veil that hung from ceiling to floor that created an additional barrier between the people and the presence of God. And only once a year could the high priest enter and offer blood sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. But at the very moment, when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew 27 and 51 says the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. To me, this veil not only represents just Jesus's broken body, but that face cloth he left behind. Ever wonder what that meant? It says in John 27, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, was not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. The veil was torn. Jesus' body was torn. And that veil was left behind representing that we are now able to come face to face with God and enjoy his presence one on one. So the empty tomb was for a moment the most holy place. That slab of rock where Jesus laid was the mercy seat. But now he's risen and the covenant and its atonement and all of the details of the Old Testament are a reality for us. Jesus' work on the cross in that empty tomb is a very personal truth for us. He now inhabits us and makes us clean with his presence. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, he's letting us know that there is now no longer a separation. We don't have to offer sacrifices and bulls, and we don't need a scapegoat because Jesus is our divine scapegoat. Jay Sklar has a wonderful commentary on the book of Leviticus 
where he breaks down the Day of Atonement beautifully. So I'll leave a link for that in the show notes so that you can um, read more about this and hopefully get through the whole book of Leviticus and just see the beauty of the sacrifices that were offered and how they come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So that's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. I pray that the truths that were shared today give you a new appreciation for Jesus's resurrection and what he did on the cross for us. Be sure to visit my website at unfoldingwords.com to check out the show notes for scripture references and also a link for the resource I mentioned by Jay Sklar, as well as a few others. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I will see you next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.